0: Hey everyone, my name's Ming, as you all have just met me at the interview. Um, it's really great to be up here, and um, just to let you all know, this isn't our last Sunday. We've got two more Sundays with you guys, and we, we love you guys and want to stick around as late as, as much as possible. Um, so do um, talk to us, and looking forward to coming back over the next two years to hopefully preach, hopefully this sermon doesn't put Rowan off from putting me up here, um, to preach and let you guys know how the next two years are going um, in the studies. Um, but we've got a great passage today. Um, it's a really wonderful one that really helps us to see that we are no longer helpless people. So why don't we pray uh, and dig in. Um, dear Heavenly Father, uh, you are a good God and you are a helper. Uh, and you've given us uh, all that we need. You've given us your Son, Jesus, and you've given us your Spirit to live our lives as Christians and to have confidence and trust in you. And so he's going to open up your Word today. Um, by your Spirit, help us to receive it to hear it, uh, and to live it out um, each day, this week, this month, for the rest of this year, for the rest of our lives. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you ever feel helpless where you're not going where you want? You're in an endless loop. You feel stuck. You might feel helpless in, in life, you know, your, your general life, in your, in your personal growth, growth as a person, or even in, your, even in your faith? See, it's valuable to think about this question, to ask ourselves this question, because we don't like being seen as helpless. We try to hide it, maybe even ignore it. And so what ends up happening is, we don't like asking for help when we might really need it. Maybe we're, we're afraid of rejection, afraid of when we do ask for help, we'll be rejected, and that hurts. Or we don't want to be a burden, We think asking for help will annoy others, so we don't do it at all. Could be a pride thing. We think asking for help will hurt the reputation we might have built up, you know, of being strong, resilient, dependable. All this has led to some people even starting to think that help is a bad thing. If we can't do it on our own, it must mean something is wrong. Something's not working. What happens is, is we don't end up asking for help, or even realize we're helpless, before it's too late. I'm thinking of those times at at university where so many of us left our assignments until the last day, maybe even the last few hours, only to realize we don't actually know what's going on, and we need some serious help. Or on a more serious note, how we do this with our health. We have a little cough, and it becomes a headache. It starts to get worse. and Instead of getting help from the doctor, we hope our bodies will take care of it if it's by itself, only to let the illness grow far worse than it should have. We even do it with our money, our finances. When we fall into debt, we try to climb out of it on our own. And it isn't until we realize we've been digging deeper and deeper into a bigger hole until we try to get some real help. Now, a fairly recent one for me was preparing for Angela and my wedding last year. I remember being over here, preparing all the stuff, trying to micromanage all the details, trying to do everything on my own. And then I look over there and see what Angela's doing. How are you going, Angela? And she goes, I've gotten help. She's gotten big help. And she's entrusted whole areas of our wedding to friends who did a way better job than we ever could. Angela got the reality of needing help before it was too late. And the reality is we all need some serious help we need help in our work lives, our love lives, our personal lives, but we need help especially in our Christian lives. To live the Christian life, we need help to live for God. And thankfully, what we see in our passage today is that God has not left us on our own, helpless to solve the problems in life and in our faith. What we see in our passage today is that God gives us a great help And a great helper. So let's dive in. The mark of any Christian is God's Spirit living in them. God's promise to dwell with his people and be with his people is a theme that runs throughout the whole Bible. We see it early in the creation narrative, back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, which says that God himself walked with Adam, walked with man. We see it throughout the Old Testament where God promises the Israelites to be with them right into the promised land. And we see that described as a portable tent, a tabernacle, a temple. God is with them all throughout their journey. But now, today, the ongoing presence of God is through the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit is named our helper. He is our helper to live the Christian life today. So, the first part of our passage starts with an underlying assumption, a sort of conditional statement, that if you're a Christian, verse 10, should be on the screen, if Christ is in you, then, verse 11, His Spirit lives in you. First, notice in this verse how interchangeably Paul describes being in Christ is with having the Spirit. The Spirit lives in those who are united with Christ. When you decide to become a Christian, God's Spirit doesn't just drop in, give you the urge to say, yes to Jesus, I want to be a Christian, then suddenly leave you out there on your own. Because when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in and makes His permanent, permanent home inside of you. The Spirit dwells in us and makes our bodies His holy temple. It's impossible to belong to Jesus, be in Christ, and not have his spirit. And so, this corrects two common mistakes people make about spirituality and Christianity. The first mistake is what you might call spiritless Christianity. This is when people think that that you can believe in Jesus, trust in his death and resurrection, receive forgiveness and all that stuff, but not receive his spirit, or be baptized in the Spirit, they say. But the Bible is very clear here that if you don't have the Spirit, then you don't have Christ. You're not a Christian. The Spirit is what causes us to have faith in Christ, and the faith in Christ results in the Spirit making our bodies its permanent home. The Spirit is both the cause and the result of our faith in Jesus. The second common mistake is what you might call. Christless spirituality. This is where people think you can be spiritual, have some kind of true spirituality without accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'll leave out the Jesus part. You might hear someone who thinks, who thinks like this say, say something along the lines of, oh yeah, I'm spiritual, but, but I'm not religious. They might describe themselves as, as, as pursuing feelings of wholeness, mindfulness, inner peace. But in doing so, they've broken themselves away from God himself and what God has said about spirituality. What we see in the Bible, God's very own words, that without faith in the historical Jesus, the one we see in the scriptures, any other form of spirituality is a false one. There's no such thing as Christless spirituality, and there's no such thing as spiritless Christianity. They go hand in hand. And so, I highlight this point because the permanent dwelling of God's Spirit in His people is here, is there to help us live the Christian life. The Spirit is there so we can be helpless no more. And so, one of the ways the Spirit helps us is that He gives us life. The Spirit inside all Christians is the same Spirit that was in Jesus for His resurrection and this gives us the confidence that this is this gives us confidence that the spirit gives life even after death the once helpless fact that everyone's eventually going to die is no longer helpless the certain hope all Christians have is that they will experience the same resurrection Jesus did we see it really clearly in verse 11 so have a look with me it should be on the screen If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Some serious repetition in there. The certainty of the Christian's future resurrection is glued, attached, bound to the certainty of Jesus' historical resurrection. The same spirit is involved in both situations. And that gives us a great confidence. But that's not all the Spirit inside of us helps us out with. It's God's Spirit that also helps us to say no to sin. We're no longer helpless in our fight against sin. Have a look with me at Romans 8, verse 12 to 13. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to live to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh... You are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, when Paul uses the word flesh in these verses, he's meaning sin, our nature to be sinful, the part of us that chooses me instead of other, the part of us that rejects God so we can play God. And what Paul's doing is he's contrasting two natures here one of the flesh, our sin nature, and one of the spirit. Spiritual nature. Now, the use of the word obligated in verse 12 initially kind of stumped me. Obligation made me think of a sense of duty. You know, I'm required to do this. A legally binding duty. What would Paul tell us that we no longer have an obligation to the flesh? How does that help us? What's being illustrated here is this idea of Slavery being enslaved to our sinful nature. This is an illustration that Paul has described and built up over the last few chapters of Romans. See, when you're a slave, you don't have a choice. You're bound to obey whatever is asked of you. You have an obligation. And when we're doing what the flesh is telling us it wants, we're satisfying its demands. We're meeting its requirements. We're helpless to do otherwise. We're obligated to it. We're slaves to it. And so many people have become so used to obeying their sinful nature, they don't even realize that they're slaves to it anymore. It's become normal. But in Christ, we are no longer slaves to our sinful nature. Jesus' death at the cross paid the price to buy us out from that slavery. We no longer have an obligation to meet its demands and requirements. We now have a choice. But Jesus didn't just help us by buying us out from the slavery. He also helped us by giving us his spirit so that we can put sin to death. We see it there at the end of verse 13. Romans 8 verse 13. Should be on the screen. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The instrument, the tool that puts to death the deeds of the body is the spirit. By the Spirit we do this. So the real question is: how does the Spirit help us put sin to death? How do we how do we use the Spirit? Now, we make a big deal about being led by the Spirit. What the Spirit does. We're in your conversations, you might you might hear someone say, God's calling me by his spirit to do this. Or, or, Or I'm being led by God's Spirit to do that. Sometimes you know the God's Spirit part is explicit. Sometimes it's, uh, it's implied. But what is it? What does it look like to be led by God's Spirit? Is it an emotional feeling and an urge? You know, where you're stuck, you're at a crossroads. Should I ask her on a date or not? Do I take this job or keep my current job? Do I take a holiday in Bali or in Hawaii? Now in all seriousness, there is great wisdom in trying to figure out the will of God's Spirit in all of our decisions, but if being led by God's Spirit just comes down to an emotional urge, how do we know if it's truly the Spirit or not? From our passage, one thing that is clear is that being led by God's Spirit means to be led away from sin. This means being led by the Spirit is often very different to what our natural instincts and feelings tell us. It is the belief that the Spirit is simply telling us whatever our feelings tell us, where the language of being led by the Spirit gets abused. See, the problem we all face is that we still have a battle with the flesh. As Christians, we still sin all the time. But the way we know if we're being led by the Spirit is if the Spirit is leading us away from sin. This is how the Spirit helps us to put sin to death, by pointing us away from it, away from sin. But that's not all the Spirit does. It doesn't just point away from sin, but the Spirit's also pointing to something. The Spirit points to a far greater and more eternal love than sin ever could. It points us to Jesus. And this helps us to put sin to death because he helps transform our affections and desires and shows how much more satisfying being in Jesus is. This makes saying no to sin and yes to Jesus so much easier. See, the Spirit doesn't just tell us a bunch of rules and how bad sin is, but it shows us how much we've been loved and how amazing Jesus is. When we follow the Spirit we become so captivated by Jesus, we don't even want to look at sin anymore. It is the work of the Spirit in us that changes our desires to seek Jesus and turn away from sin. Now, for some of us here, maybe many of us, in our battle against sin, we might feel stuck, we might feel helpless. We're not growing as Christians, or maybe we're stuck in habitual sin, not sure what to do. Usually, we get stuck for one of two reasons. The first is that we live too passively. Instead of actively killing sin, we sit back and want God to do all the work. We think, I can't do it, God will have to do it all for me. Instead of following where the Spirit is leading, we expect the Spirit to drag us there. But in the other scenario, we go too far the other way. We try to go at it alone at our own strengths. We try to struggle and fight, setting up all these boundaries and rules, only to realize we've forgotten the gospel. We've forgotten grace. We're not captured by the love we have in Jesus. We're only interested in the how and not the who. God does not expect us to fight the battle against sin without him. But he also does not bring change without our involvement. A helpful illustration someone once told me was, Growing to be more like Jesus, following the Spirit's lead, is kind of like riding a boat. But it isn't like a rowboat, where you take your paddles with all your strength and all your might and reach your destination by your own power. But it isn't like a motorboat, where you you sit back and the engine does all the work. You're just on your cruise there, and the engine's doing all the work for you. Instead, life by the Spirit is like a sailboat, where you and the wind work together The power that moves the boat depends entirely on the wind. No wind, no movement. But without setting up the sails, playing an active role in responding to the wind's direction and energy, you're not going to go anywhere either. Now, I get that this passage doesn't come with an exact step-by-step guide in how to put sin to death. There's no specific details. But it's not just telling us to do it either. Just do it. It's telling us that we can do it. It gives us the confidence to go into battle. And when we read other parts of God's Word, we can learn more about where the Spirit is going and how it can help us fight sin. And so, looked a little bit around the Bible, and not surprisingly, the first practical step we can take in our fight against sin is to read our Bibles. We saw a couple of weeks ago on New Year's, around New Year's Day, uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16, should be on the screen, that all Scripture is breathed by God, and it it's imbued with the Spirit. And so it's useful for learning about and training in godliness. Our Bibles help us to train in godliness, and they show us where the Spirit is pointing to. So, if we're not reading our Bibles, we're not following the Spirit. Another practical, practical step we often take for granted is church, the people here among you. Those who don't think they need to go to church reflect the heart of thinking that they don't need any help, that they can live the Christian life and fight sin on their own. But church means you will have fellowship. You will have people to keep you accountable, people who will encourage you in the fight and point you to Jesus. A church Maybe you can find someone to disciple you, pray for you, ask you hard questions, and read the Bible alongside you. There are lots of passages on gathering and church, but a personal favorite is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. And it tells us on the screen not to neglect meeting together, but to keep thinking about how we can encourage each other. And finally, in our fight against sin, there's prayer. We can pray to our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we can't actually do anything about a situation or our sin, but there is something that we can always do, and that's to pray. It's really, really hard to be openly and honestly praying to God, praying right then and there, and still turn right back there to sin. Prayer is a very powerful weapon. One of the great gifts God has given Christians is how easily They have access to God through prayer. See, growing up as a little boy, my dad had his own accounting business. So, as you might imagine, this made him the boss of the company. Uh, He's pretty proud of it. Uh, And I remember after school, my sister and I would get picked up by my mom and would stay at his office building until the evening. Uh, And one of the privileges I always took for granted, I never realized, just, you know, as a little boy, was how easily I had access to my dad. While everyone else had to sit at the receptionist lobby, I could walk right on through, no questions asked. Everyone else, they had to make appointments to have meetings with my dad, whereas I could literally go up to him while he was in the middle of a meeting and tell him I was hungry. <laughs> Being my dad's child gave me easy access to my dad. And this is how great we have it with God. When we pray to him, we have instant access to Him. One of the great privileges Christians have is we can call God our Father. And it's God's Spirit that helps identify us as God's children. He helps us to know and to be children of God. Read with me Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also is, heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. God's spirit, he gives us life, he helps us to fight against sin, but he also serves as our adoption papers, signed and sealed. It guarantees that we belong to God's family, and we're going to be delivered to his home and to his loving arms one day. See, identity is a big thing in our world today. We're told we can choose our identity, be who we want to be. We're encouraged to discover who we are. But an identity that doesn't ever change is family. It can't change. And that offers a lot of comfort and security, doesn't it? No matter what others might tell you, what challenges or experiences you go through in this world, if you trust in Jesus, you're a child of God. That's your family. And that won't ever change. And the Spirit helps us to know we are part of God's family. He testifies, verse 16, to us that we are God's children. So when you feel like giving it to sin, if you feel like giving into the pressures of this world, falling back into slavery, the Spirit helps us by telling us, no, 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 that's not who you are. You're a child of God. That's your identity. That's who you are. Now, I know for some of us, it can be strange to call God, the massive creator of the universe, our father, our dad. This reminded me of when I tried to start calling Angela's dad, dad for the first time or in Chinese, Baba. And I remember for a really long time, whenever I tried to start a conversation with him, I'd try to address him without saying anything, without, without addressing him with anything. I'd try to get his attention with hand gestures, or you know, <laughs> polite body language, or you know, just speaking at him. His name felt a, a bit too distant and cold, and Baba felt a bit too intimate and strange for me. And so I remember asking Angela one night, well, should I call him? Can I, can I call him, Papa? All I needed was a little bit of help and assurance from Angela to actually say it, to know that it was okay for me to. And we might feel that with God. We not, might not be sure if it's okay to call God Father. But as adopted children of God, we have an intimate dad relationship with Him. His Spirit is helping us, telling us it's okay to, that it's right and good to call God Father. But for other of us, others of us, myself included, it's, it's actually kind of hard to really appreciate what it means to be able to call God Father. You know, I mean, we say it, you know, in our prayers, we call God our Father, but we don't really fully appreciate it. And one of the main reasons this tends to happen, we don't appreciate our adoption into God's family, is because we think we have it here on earth already. As I was thinking about adoption... It made me think of some developing countries, you know, like some parts of Africa. When you see those kids get adopted, their faces just light up. It warms your heart to see photos of these kids. They're so happy, they're delighted, they flow with joy at the news of their adoption. And it's because they realize how much adoption means for them when they get taken out of their life in poverty. Their adoption changes everything for them. And the same thing is with God. But we don't flow with the same joy because we don't think the world around us is that bad. We don't realize the literal poverty we live in when compared to the life God has in store for his children. But if we just opened up our eyes, even, even just a little bit, to see the brokenness, the sin, and the death that is in this world, we might just start to see how incredible it is that God chooses to adopt us to take us away from all that. And even though we have nothing to offer Him, He offers us everything, even His own Son, Jesus. It's one thing to enjoy and appreciate some of the good things in our lives here on earth, but it's another thing to have it all for all time. Literally everything good in this world is from God, but they're just Blips small windows into everything God has in store for the life that is to come. As God's children, that is the inheritance we have to look forward to. That is the life the Spirit is taking us to when Jesus comes back. That is the life we fight sin for. And that is the life God wants for His children. If you trust in Jesus, you have His Spirit, And His Spirit helps us all to live that life right now, right into eternity. If you trust in Jesus, you no longer have to feel helpless. God's Spirit is our helper, and He permanently dwells inside of you. As you keep responding and following God's Spirit, keep letting it convict you and point you away from sin and to Jesus. But maybe maybe you're someone who's currently still helpless. You don't yet trust in Jesus. You don't have God's Spirit to give you life, to say no to sin, or to be a part of God's family. Let me encourage you that God wants to help you. You're not a burden to Him. And He's waiting for you to accept that help, to accept Jesus and receive His Spirit. You no longer need to be helpless, and it's not too late to accept that help today. If you want to take that help before it's too late, why not join me in prayer now, asking God to give you His great helper, His Spirit. So let's pray together now. Heavenly Father and Sovereign Lord, uh, You are such a good Father to us. You have given us all things. You have not held anything back from us. You have given us Your Son, Jesus, and through Him we have Your Spirit, our Helper, Um, We ask now that uh, you forgive us, uh, you continue to look, have mercy on us and forgive us for the many times we have turned away from you. But by your spirit, you have helped us to see that. And as we come before you with nothing but the blood of your son, Jesus, we know we can boldly approach you with great thanks that you are with us and you forgive us and you love us. Help us to live our lives for you for the rest of our lives, holding on to your son, Jesus, as you hold on to us. We pray these things all in the name of your Son, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.